In the darkness, beyond the realm of normalcy, there are mysteries waiting to be uncovered. Mysteries that suggest that there is more lurking in the darkness than we may think. There are secrets waiting to be heard. Secrets that are only whispered during the night tide. What happens after we die? Does some part of us manage to live on? Or is it simply lights out? An inky black eternity. It's a question that's been up for debate since humans gained the ability to think such thoughts. Throughout history, many have proclaimed that we do indeed carry on in some shape or another, and some have even cited ghosts as being proof of such. It's often said that ghosts are the spirits of those who have, for whatever reason, been unable to move on to the other side. Instead, they linger about, often haunting favorite places or even their place of death. Some seem unaware of their surroundings, as if they're simply a recording, playing out a singular moment night after night, while others seem aware, often trying to reach out to the living, moving objects, or making odd sounds in a seeming desperate attempt to communicate. Of course, most of what many attribute to ghosts can easily be explained away by more worldly causes. Whether it's a settling foundation or more of a psychological matter, most ghostly sightings are not proof of what lies in the great beyond. So the question of whether ghosts are real is another one of those which has been heatedly debated by many throughout time. It's something which seems to be commonly experienced, yet even to this day has been unable to be scientifically proven. That's not to say that there aren't those who claim to have proof of the existence of such things. In fact, there are many people who have dedicated countless hours of their lives researching and investigating such matters. Commonly known as ghost hunters, paranormal investigators have dedicated themselves to collecting data and investigating cases of hauntings and ghostly encounters. Today's technology has allowed for new opportunities and the ever-growing chance of becoming one step closer to the truth. The answer to one of life's greatest questions. While the idea of paranormal investigating seems like more of a modern practice, especially with all the gadgets that we've come to associate with it, it's something that has been around for over a century. In fact, 
you just may even recognize a few of the names of some of the founders of the field. It was called the London Ghost Club, and it was the very first paranormal investigation and research group on record. Formed in 1862, it was a club for some of London's most elite and included politicians, inventors, physicians, authors, and more. It was a gentleman's club where the members would meet regularly and discuss matters of the paranormal and also go out on monthly investigations where they would pursue cases of hauntings and also observe and investigate the occurrences at seances. One of the London Ghost Club's founding members was none other than famed author Charles Dickens. Now, whilst that may sound a bit unbelievable and perhaps out of character from the man you think you know, Dickens was indeed a believer in the paranormal. In fact, his ghosts from his famed works, including The Christmas Carol, were in part inspired by some of his real life encounters. During his youth and early adulthood, Dickens claimed to have experienced quite a few hauntings and said them to be the inspiration behind many of the ghostly themes in his works. Like most of us, his love of all things supernatural stemmed from childhood. As a boy, each month, he eagerly awaited the latest installment of the popular horror magazine, The Terrific Register. Though the tales he read would often lead to sleepless nights, they brought him great joy. The terrifying images his imagination would produce during those late post-reading hours would also pique his curiosity. Could such tales of the living being troubled by the spirits of the dead actually be possible? Could there truly be something more after death, allowing the personality and consciousness to live on? Though he managed to retain some of that childlike wonder for the supernatural as an adult, Dickens had also developed the sharpened mind of a skeptic. Though he was living in an age where the vast majority of the population believed that the spirits of the dead still lingered about, where spirit communication was possible and seances were in vogue. When it came to the supernatural, Dickens preferred to play the role of scientist. He believed that the vast majority of supernatural occurrences had natural often human causes. Dickens, quite rightfully so, believed that most of the ghostly experiences had by the public, especially those which occurred during seances, were a mixture of 
intentional deceit, and shared delusion. He stated to newspapers that most ghostly presences could be attributed to, in his words, a disordered condition of the nerves and senses. Now, while he was quick to speak out against most of the fads of spiritualism, this healthy skepticism of his did little to dampen his love of the supernatural and his curiosity about his existence. Now, while he was quick to speak out against most of the fads of spiritualism, this healthy skepticism did little to dampen his love of the supernatural and his curiosity about its existence. In fact, had he not had such a developed and strong-minded sense of skepticism, he may have went down the same path of the thousands of others who had fallen victim to the follies of the spiritualist movement. But instead of letting his open-mindedness on the subject lead to gullibility, Dickens instead would investigate the matter, applying the scientific method to his investigations of ghostly claims. In 1862, at the age of 50, Dickens helped found the London Ghost Club. The Ghost Club's main endeavor at the time was the investigation of spiritualist phenomena, which included spirit apparitions, spirit communication devices, and any of those who publicly claimed the power of mediumship. When not on investigations, they would hold parlor meetings and discuss potential investigation sites and all things supernatural. Due to his scientific approach and level-headed skepticism, Dickens took a particular delight in exposing the frauds, those he referred to as being in the spirit business. While many believed exposing the fraudulent stage mediums was his primary drive, Dickens' interest in researching the paranormal was genuine. He truly did so out of genuine curiosity. He, like most of us, had spent many a late night moment pondering what truly lied beyond the veil. And like most of us, he wondered if there were some way to prove, once and for all, what that was. Dickens also dabbled in other areas, which many would classify as supernatural, such as mesmerism. In fact, Dickens claimed that he became so good at the art of mesmerism that he could effortlessly cause his own mind to conjure up what he said were the most ghastly of haunts. With a single hypnotic suggestion, he could supposedly cause himself to see full-bodied apparitions and hear all manner of haunting sounds, essentially 
scaring the dickens out of himself. Using mesmerism, he could create a haunting experience for himself that rivaled even the most thrilling of ghostly tales. It was his experiments with mesmerism that led him to the belief that most, if not all, ghostly encounters were predominantly psychological. Dickens remained an active participating member of the Ghost Club up until his death in 1870. After his passing, the Ghost Club dissolved, perhaps out of respect, or perhaps in part due to the loss of the balance that Dickens' scientific approach provided it. The Ghost Club remained defunct for a little over a decade. Then, in 1882, it was revived on All Souls Day by medium Staint Moses and associate Alec Alfred Watts. Now, this revitalization took the club in a far different direction. Instead of being a more scientifically based operation on a quest for the truth, the new Ghost Club became a selective club for wealthy and elite members of the spiritualist community. It was reserved for those who believed that ghosts and psychic phenomena were absolute fact. Now, instead of an organization that researched and often defrauded mediums, it was now an organization that unquestioningly believed in them. It was the perfect ad campaign for those in the spirit business. This isn't to say that this new iteration of the Ghost Club didn't attract some big names of the time. One of the most famous members of this new Ghost Club was none other than Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The same Sir Arthur Conan Doyle of Sherlock Holmes fame. In fact, Doyle and Dickens were very much alike in some ways. They both had a strong interest in the paranormal, an interest which often drove and propelled their literary endeavors. Both had a knack for ghostly tales. Both were scientifically minded, and both had a true curiosity about what lied beyond the veil. However, the way that each man pursued this curiosity and the way they approached their investigations into it is what set them apart. While Dickens was an open-minded skeptic and was known to be quite rigorous in his investigations, Doyle's open-mindedness, coupled with his desperation for proof, often led him astray. You see, Doyle's journey into proving what happened after death was far more personal. 
It was primarily a means to mend a grieving heart and soothe away the fear of death. While Doyle's interest in the hereafter wasn't a new one, it was something which he had contemplated and sought after for most of his life. It was later in his life that his need for proof grew desperate. While Doyle's public persona was always that of a jovial and engaging figure, it was masking a deep pain, a pain which had been the source for intensifying his interest in the spirit realm. Doyle, during this time, was deeply grieving the loss of his beloved older son, Kingsley. He and Kingsley were incredibly close, and Kingsley was sure to follow in his father's footsteps. By his early 20s, just as his father at that age, Kingley was a promising medical student. However, when the war broke out, despite his father's protests and desperate pleas, Kingsley abandoned his studies and joined the Royal Army Medical Corps, shortly after which he was deployed to the front lines and Kingsley found himself in the Battle of the Somme. Not too far after arriving, Kingsley was shot twice in the neck. Gravely wounded, he had miraculously managed to survive and was transported to a nearby military hospital. But unfortunately for Kingsley, it was here that his luck was going to take a turn for the worst. During his stay, a soldier had been admitted with complaints of a high fever, muscle pains, and an unbearable headache. Within days of his arrival, the newly admitted soldier was not only dead, but now others in the hospital began showing the same symptoms. The soldier had been a victim of the Spanish influenza, and he had unknowingly spread the virus, infecting almost the entire hospital population. Now this particular strain of the flu was incredibly deadly and was known as the Blue Death, as those infected with the disease would begin to turn a bluish collar shortly before their bodies succumbed to the disease. What made the Blue Death particularly frightening was the speed at which it ravaged the bodies of its victims, often causing death just days after the first symptoms began to appear. There was nothing doctors of the time could do to curb the disease or even lessen its effects. There were no vaccines or medication that could prevent or fight it off. It's estimated that in one year's time, the disease claimed the lives of over 20 million people. One of those lives taken 
was Kingsley Doyle. Though he had managed to cheat death once, in his weakened state, he was quickly taken by the disease. Kingsley Doyle died in October of 1918 at just 25. When word reached his father, Conan Doyle was absolutely devastated. The only way he could allow himself to continue on and bear such pain was to try to make something out of it. Using his pain as a driving force to attempt to investigate and make new discoveries about what lies beyond. In his words, he was determined to break down the walls between the two worlds. Doyle was determined to not only prove that the afterlife existed, but to prove that our loved ones carry on as they once were. He was one of the very first modern-day ghost hunters. And while he lacked any fancy gadgetry, he did bring along on his investigations his tools of logic and deduction. While it may sound outlandish that such a celebrated mind of logic would be pursuing ghosts, for the time, the idea wasn't as far-fetched as it seems to many today. Both Edison and Tesla had claimed to have been busy at work creating a device which would allow for people to have real-time communication with the spirit world, often dubbed the spirit phone. Tesla had at one point went as far as to boast to the media that he had discovered the exact electrical frequency which the spirit world operated on, allowing for the ability of real-time communication via phone. While Tesla was most likely genuine in that boasted certainty, Edison most likely made his spirit phone claim in jest. Partly perhaps to mock Tesla, and partly perhaps to mock the spiritualism movement as a whole. It was no secret that Edison loathed the spiritualism movement. Now, while many did mock it, spiritualism managed to attract some very well-respected names, such as scientists, medical professionals, politicians, presidents, and authors. In fact, Lord Raleigh, who had won the Nobel Prize for his discovery of Argon, dedicated years of his life up until the very moment of his death to studying mediums, trying to apply the scientific method to once and for all either prove or disprove their existence. It was said that by the time of his death, he was left 
in an almost unbearable state of uncertainty. Days before his death, Lord Raleigh gravely said to a friend, We are ill-equipped for the investigation of phenomena which cannot be reproduced at pleasure under good conditions. Raleigh was not alone in this opinion. Many viewed the paranormal through this lens. With this perspective in mind, Doyle's pursuit and proving the existence of the supernatural isn't so unseemingly uncharacteristic or odd at all. And it should be worth noting that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a doctor before he turned his attentions to writing. And he was an incredibly intelligent and scientifically minded person. Remember, he is the one who gave us the man of logic himself, Sherlock Holmes. Doyle once said of his investigations into spiritualism, the subject of psychical research is one upon which I have thought more and more about, which I have been slower to form an opinion than upon any subject whatever. Spiritualism wasn't something which he had hastily jumped into. It was something he had given years of research and thought to. Doyle spent years of his life traveling and investigating all matter of supernatural phenomena, many of which left him a believer that there was indeed something more. However, he was still at that moment skeptical of the type of phenomenon that was being produced by the spiritualists. What finally turned Sir Arthur Conan Doyle onto spiritualism, and that which converted him to the movement, was an incident that took place on his South Sea residence. In 1880, Doyle, after having read several books on the topic, decided to conduct some tests of his own to see if such things as seances and table tipping could truly be possible. He invited over a group of several close friends, and together, over the course of several months, they experimented with table tipping and automatic writing. And Doyle, intrigued by some of the results they had gotten, decided to invite a local medium to one of the gatherings. It was a fateful encounter, which would forever change the course of Doyle's life. During the gathering, the medium looked Doyle dead in the eyes and told him not to bother with the book he'd been considering. While the rest of those in attendance laughed the weird incident off, Doyle was frozen with astonishment. You see, at that very moment, when he had been told this, he had indeed been debating in his mind 
on reading a particular book, something which literally no one else had known about. After that moment, Doyle was not only convinced that this medium was the real deal, he was also convinced that all he had read and heard about spiritualism was true. Soon, his interest in spiritualism seemed to consume every part of his life, including his love life. In 1897, Doyle fell madly in love with a popular medium called Jean Elizabeth Lecky. The two maintained a passionate love affair up until the death of his wife in 1907. Shortly afterward, he and Jean Elizabeth were wed. Doyle fully believed in his new wife's psychic abilities and was convinced that she could indeed commune with spirits and foretell the future. For the rest of his life, Doyle dedicated himself to spiritualism and to investigating the supernatural. His quest for validation of the supernatural went far beyond mediums and ghosts. Doyle also sought proof in the form of ritual magic as well. Aside from the ghost club, Doyle was an active member and financial contributor to another club, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, a group which is considered to be the main source for modern-day occultism. And it is also the very group which inspired Crowley's Thelema and even aspects of Gardner's Wicca. Yes, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the man who brought us Sherlock Holmes, also dabbled a bit in the occult as well. During his time in the Order, Doyle learned about ways to harness his spiritual abilities, to manifest all manners of wants and desires into his life. By studying the cipher manuscripts, Doyle learned the teaching of Hermetic Kabbalah, astrology, tarot, geomancy, and alchemy. While in the order, he not only experienced his own powers that he could bring into being, but he also witnessed firsthand what others could do as well. Doyle dedicated a vast amount of his time and fortune to traveling the world and investigating the supernatural. Primarily, he focused on mediumship and the related spirit apparitions they could bring forth. During his travels, he was privy to many mysterious wonders. He marveled at those who, when in a trance, could produce a silky-like substance known as ectoplasm. He sat in quiet astonishment 
when a spirit photographer took his portrait and captured a ghostly figure floating above him. And he stood in wide-eyed wonder as he held in his own hands photographic evidence of the existence of fairies. For Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the world was a far more wondrous and mysterious place than he had ever previously conceived. With all of the evidence that his paranormal investigation travels produced for him, Doyle became a firm and devout believer in the paranormal, and in particular, in spiritualism. Doyle soon considered it his personal mission, perhaps even his destiny, to travel the globe spreading the word about what he had discovered and sharing with the world the importance and validity of spiritualism. For Doyle, spiritualism was not a matter to be mocked. It was something which he felt all should embrace. As for him, spiritualism was the ultimate answer, the undeniable proof that consciousness indeed carries on after death. Soon, Doyle stopped writing fiction altogether and fully dedicated his writing to the subject of spiritualism. He wrote numerous articles, pamphlets, and books about the topic. He also, during his later years, began touring in Europe and America, filling theaters and giving riveting lectures about his investigations into the subject. While there were many out there who were enthralled by Doyle's tales of the mysterious world of psychics, of spirits, and magic, many more believed that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle had finally went off the deep end. Unfortunately for Doyle, his open-mindedness, his deep-seated desire to believe, often led him to cast aside his doubt. He was, in all honesty, often a little too willing to believe, especially when it involved the use of photography. The case of the Cottingley Fairies is a perfect example. Doyle, unfortunately, was involved in one of the most controversial paranormal cases of the time. The Cottingley Fairies was a case where several young girls had claimed to not only have interacted with the winged creatures, but also captured these interactions in photographs. The photographs did indeed show tiny winged human-like creatures seemingly floating and posing beside the girls. Though these photographs were believed to be a hoax from the very beginning, Doyle only added fuel to the fire 
by visiting the girls and investigating the case for himself. After interviewing the girls and looking at the photographic evidence himself, Doyle was convinced beyond a shadow of doubt that these girls were telling the truth and that these photographs were genuine proof of the existence of fairies. Something which Doyle had truly believed in since he was a young boy. While his public defense of the girls brought many new supporters who also believed in the validity of their claims, there were still many more who just weren't buying it. Eventually, even the girls themselves tired of the game, and they admitted that the whole thing was indeed a hoax. The fairies in the photographs were nothing more than some lovely cutout illustrations. Not only was Doyle humiliated by this incident, it also led to the ruin of his public reputation. From that moment on, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was no longer an investigator of the paranormal, a man of logic and deduction. Now, he was simply seen as an old fool. Even worse, newspapers bore headlines proclaiming him to be mad. He was henceforth seen as a man who was so gullible and given to fantasy that he could be easily duped by schoolchildren. Doyle, though, didn't let the humiliation and the ridicule stop him from his mission. Instead, he admitted to his mistake, but he still held fast to his belief in elemental creatures such as fairies. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle continued touring and giving lectures, though the crowds at this point had waned. Still, you have to admire the amount of bravery it must have taken for him to hold his head up high and carry on as he did. Over his remaining years, Doyle continued to try to spread the word of spiritualism. He devoted a large portion of his fortune to opening up libraries on the topic and on the topic of all matters of the paranormal. He created a museum and even one of the very first publishing companies which solely dedicated itself to matters of the paranormal. Unfortunately, despite his best efforts and passion that he put into these ventures, they all flopped and resulted in a considerable loss of money. As the 1920s began to come to an end, so did the popularity 
of the spiritualist movement. People such as Harry Houdini had exposed many of the popular stage mediums as frauds, causing the movement to be written off by many as a sham, just a platform for con artists to take advantage of the desperate and grief-stricken. While it's easy to write Doyle off as another one of the thousands who were conned by those fancy showmen, perhaps we shouldn't be so quick to write off his experiences entirely. During his travels and investigations, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle truly did encounter some remarkable things. And perhaps it was those experiences that made him so accepting, even of the frauds. People ask, what do you get from spiritualism? The first thing you get is that it absolutely removes all fear of death. Secondly, it bridges death for those dear ones whom we may lose. We need have no fear that we are calling them back, for all that we do is to make such conditions as experience has taught us will enable them to come if they wish and the initiative lies always with them. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle left this world on July 7th of 1930. And while he may have left the realm of the living behind, it seems that he hasn't completely forgotten us. Since his death, there have been mediums who have claimed to have been in contact with him. In fact, one week after his death, during a seance at the Royal Albert Hall, it was claimed that a medium had contacted and communicated with him. Then, in 1934, four years after his death, a seance was held by a medium named Noah Zerden. It was held at the Elian Hall on New Broad Street, and there was supposedly around 560 people in attendance. During this event, it was claimed that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's voice came through, and even more impressive, it was recorded. That record has survived and is part of the archives. This is the actual recording taken from that night of Doyle supposedly coming through as an EVP. Go.
Well, undoubtedly creepy, I'll let you be the judge on whether or not you think this is truly Doyle coming through from the other side. What's fascinating is that even to this day, there are many who claim to have been in contact with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. It seems that even after death, he is still dedicated to proving the existence of life after death. No matter what you think of his devotion to spiritualism, one thing is for certain. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and the other members of the Ghost Club are a huge reason as to why paranormal investigations, why ghost hunting, is what it is today. A lot of the questioning techniques that paranormal investigators use today were used back then. Just instead of talking into a digital recorder, they were using tools such as mediums, automatic writing, and table tipping. A lot of the rules for debunkery came from them as well. You see, though Doyle was a believer to a fault at many times, that doesn't mean that he didn't do his own fair share of debunking. <laughs> 